This message is a continuation from our previous program. It's the character bit we're interested in, right? And that's the real heart of this, this chapter and the gospel. Right? If you're not actually engaged in the discipleship program, please come and see Pastor Tom or myself at the end of this meeting and we'll try and hook you up with someone ASAP. Paul writes this chapter to a question that you've got, whether you realize it or not. My question is probably the same as you. How do I love, Lord? How do I love you? And how do I love others? Will you teach me how to love? Jeanette was in the shop once, and there was a little child and his mother ahead of her. And the, the child was screaming and misbehaving, and the mother was, you know, going crazy. And the mother turned to the child and said, Listen, you're not getting anything until you're good. And the child stood for a moment and went, What's good? I don't know what good is. <laughs> and it's a bit like that with us, with love. You can say, God says, you know, you must love one another. You must love each other. You must love God. But I don't know about you, but I say, God, what is love? What is love? How do I love? And this chapter, you see, tells you exactly what love is. Precisely. Breaks it down. Tells you what love speaks like. Tells you what love thinks like. Tells you what it behaves like. And Paul splits it up, basically, very simply, into three groups. He begins by talking about the speech gifts. And he says, okay, let me tell you what love really is. Let me give you an example. He says, take the speech gifts. Preaching, prophecy, tongues. That's not any way of validating whether someone loves God or loves others. These things can be used for evil, right? And deception, or they can be used for great good. But there's no measure whatsoever. Don't be fooled by that. We had a tent mission once in Wales, and it was a major tent mission. A lot of money was being spent. There was a whole series of tents, actually, and it was going to be going on for days. And we had one of the tents, and we were going to be teaching on open-air evangelism, open-air preaching. We turned up a few days before the event is due to start, you know, and we've got a team there, and we're going to set up all our equipment and start the teaching. And there was a prayer meeting with all the staff involved in it. And this evangelist who led the whole campaign was there, and the person who was in charge of intercession was there. Well, I tell you, the person who was in charge of intercession didn't like me as soon as she saw me. And we walked in, we put our stuff, we're the evangelism crew. Okay, and she started watching me from that point on. And we had this prayer meeting, and she was speaking in tongues. And it was like, you know, an American Indian war. She was watching me and I thought, what is it? What have I done? And all the time she's looking and speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. I was very uneasy. I thought, I tell you what, kid, if that's the head of the intercession, we're going to be having some problems here. That cookie's not right. So a few days go by and we're just about to start. The evangelist comes over to me one day. And this is a well-known person. Comes over and says, could I talk to you? I've got something of great delicacy, I have to say. We don't want your ministry here. Okay, you're welcome to attend, but you won't be doing anything. We're not going to be using that tent and we won't be doing the teaching. Okay, I didn't need to ask. I know what ministry's like. This person's got to preach for the next few days. I'm not going to give any trouble. I said, that's absolutely fine. Don't even need to ask why. I know why. So, leave it. I said to the team, look, you can... Come or go, stay. I won't come back. You guys can just disperse or you can stay. It's up to you. That's it. I go to bed. Six o'clock in the morning, my phone rings. 6 a.m. It's the evangelist. I'm bothered by what I've done. 
I listened to my intercessor. I know, I know. She said there's a problem with you, but I can't sleep. There's not. I said, of course there's not. There's a problem with her, kid. Would you come back? Okay, come, okay, we'll come back. You see? What was she using to disguise? Tongues. Tongues. She wanted to validate, validate what was a very bad thing. And she wanted to validate, she couldn't quite go up to that evangelist and just say, don't. So I'll speak in tongues and speak in tongues and I'll make myself look really spiritual. That's dreadful. That's absolutely dreadful. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's saying these things can be used in love to build up the body or they can be used for great wickedness. And he divides it right down the middle very clearly. Be careful. That's towards God and this is towards others. Pray and ask God to use you to encourage people. Pray and ask God to give you a word from Him. So that on your way to church every Sunday, God give me a word for someone. Help me to speak into people's lives. Use these speech gifts to encourage others not to pull down, right? Words are powerful. Jeanette was on the bus and she, I remember, that I never forgot the story because it was horror to me. She, she, she said there was this woman, she didn't know it was a, a child and, a, and an adult, but she didn't know if the adult was the child's elder sister or mother. But they were just sitting opposite each other in a bus seat. And all the journey, the adult was just lashing into the child. You're stupid, shut up. Endless, endless condemnation and horrible words. And I remember the way she put it, she said, Oh, that woman. She didn't, she said, she didn't have a rod to beat the child, but she may as well have done. Because that's the force of words. That was the power of them, battering and beating that child with what she was saying. We've got to watch our speech, right? And use it to build people up. What does the Bible say? The power of life and death are in your tongue. Your tongue. You've got the power of life and death. Why? Because there's a devil. That's why the gun is supposed to be pointed at the enemy. Not at yourself. Right? Not condemning yourself. Not speaking negatively about yourself like we saw last week. Not speaking negatively about others. But using your speech to build others up. Right? And to build yourself up. By all means, speak in tongues and build yourself up. These are important. Obviously, this is very close to my heart. When I got saved, God called me to preach, and I didn't know how on earth to do that. And I started to study every possible way, and I got to hear of this guy in West Wales who was very well known. He was known as a, as a, as a great man of God in that time. And I wanted to go down and just sit and, and, and be under his ministry for a while. So I called up, and I rang up, and they said, yes, I could come. I said, just want to sit and listen to him and, and, and come under that anointing. So he said, come for Christmas. There was four events. He said, you can come for Christmas, stay the whole time, and you can work through these events and you'll see what I do. I arrive at his place, he collapses. <laughs> so don't invite me around, right? <laughs> I arrived, the guy collapsed, and he was, he was on the sofa. I thought, oh, he's going to die now. He's, he's lying there and he said, look, I, I don't know what was up with him. He said, would you preach? And would you do the events? I'll see if I can get over this. I said, okay. So the first event, they did that, it went well. Second event, I did that, it went well. Third event, I did that, it went well. And then he got up. He was okay. So he came in and he said, I'll do the last. This is an old man. 
I'll do the last event. I thought, praise God, at least I get to sit under your ministry for one session. So I sat down after three good events. And up the guy got. He fumbled. <laughs> he wasn't well organized. He was an elderly man. And I thought, well, what's all this reputation about? Up he got and went to his notes. And then he started to speak. My God. He had one thing. Love. He loved those people. And you, it was awesome. Awesome. And I had gone to learn about gifts. I had gone to learn how to develop in gifting. And my oh my, does God teach well. He said, you know what? There's giftings everywhere here, friends. We're not short of giftings. There's no end of gifts all over. The, everybody's got one and many more. Gifts is not the problem. And as I drove away from that place, I remember thinking, his reputation. <laughs> now I know why he has a reputation. It's because he's got the one thing that God wants. He loves his people. And God's love is just coming out of that guy, and that's fantastic. So easy to miss it. So easy to, you know, miss the forest for the trees. The next thing Paul talks about is acts of service. And he tells us how to do this right. There's right ways of doing it and wrong ways of doing it. I mean, you here, you could be involved in children's work, the ministry of any sort, cleaning, worship. But there's a way of doing that. And we've got to do it until, out of love for God. And we've got to do whatever we're gifted in. Many people have a problem accepting their gift, you know. They think it's too small. Remember the man who had the one talent? What did he do? He buried it. What did the guy with 10 do? He invested it. You see, the, the little gift was seen as nothing. It was seen as insignificant, not important enough. So I won't do anything with it. And that's terrible. That's not love. That's not love. That's pride, actually. And so you've got to use whatever gift God has given you. You use it, and you use it well, and you dedicate it unto God. Same for others. In acts of service, how do we serve others? Well, first of all, quality time is a way of serving people. You give them your time, and you love them by doing so. And husbands, once again, I would say to you, give time to your wives. I was with one, just had a small group of pastors around in a guy's house once, and he was a pastor, and we were talking and stuff. We had a brief meeting, and we were all leaving. And the pastor and his wife came out to the door. We were saying goodbye. And one of the people who was leaving with me said, oh, so-and-so's coming tomorrow to the city. I'm going to go and see him. I said, oh, I'll go too. And then the, the pastor who hosted us said, and I'll go. I'll come with you. And when he said that, his wife spoke. And do you know when someone's hurt? I mean, really hurt. You can hear it in their voice. I mean, wounded. Do you know what she said? You said we were going to do the washing machine tomorrow. You said we were going to fix the washing. We're going to get that done. And the pain in her voice, I could hear it, and her husband ignored it. Oh, we'll do it another time. And she had young kids running around the house. The washing machine was obviously broken. Time. Love. He's gone off in ministry. I'm going with the guys. I'm going down to meet this whatever. Love. No. He, he would call it ministry, but it's not acceptable ministry, is it? Because that's not love. He's denied his wife a promise he made, obviously, to, to, to be there and to fix the washing machine or whatever. That's not acceptable. Acts of service, he would offer that day and say, I'm going to, 
develop my ministry. Well, that's not acceptable. You need to get home and help your wife. That's maturity, right? So acts of service to others in kindness, in visiting, in gifts, in all those ways. Or just in touch. In touching one another. Husbands, you need to touch your wives. I don't mean sex. I don't mean sex. I just mean touch. And you need to become tactile. You need to hold her hand. You need to put your arms around one another. Sit on the settee. You know? And cuddle up. You need to get... Behave yourself, Gordon. You need to... You need to get tactile. <laughs> you can at least wait till you go home, Gordon. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's important. Because look, especially if that happens to be somebody's primary language of expressing love. Sex is not the only thing. Amen. 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 You need to touch. And you need to get very used to touching one another. Husbands and wives only I'm talking about here. Right? <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> but do it, guys, because it is important and it's a way of expressing love. And women particularly, I think, are very... Let's stop right there and move on. <laughs> Thirdly, Paul talks about the wisdom gifts. And these are gifts that we need just to not to hurt people. You know, people are funny. People can be very odd. Even weird. <laughs> you know their little ways? Has, uh, have you got little ways? Yes, yes indeed. Yeah. Have you got little ways? Everybody's got their own little ways. Sometimes odd little ways. Sometimes annoying little ways. And when Paul talks about the wisdom gifts, he really is referring largely to dealing with people's little ways. And not learning when to be quiet if somebody's getting on your nerves. Learning when to use discretion. Learning that you don't have to correct everything all the time. And learning that, the most important point, people are making room for me. So I better make room for people. Do you know, what, do you know who has little ways? You do. You do. You have your own little annoying ways. Your own little funny ways. And love can cope with that. And love says it's okay. When others say, oh, here... Why does he do that? Why does she? Uh, 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 just let it go. That's just their little way. You need to learn to be quiet about those things, especially in a marriage. You're going to have to accept them or you're never going to make it. Not to, you know, speak about it, not to prove your point, but just to let things go. That's love. I lived with one guy and he was a very difficult guy to live with. I was only there about seven or eight months, but I specifically took a room in his house to try and help him. He had big problems, and I kept the place meticulously clean. I wasn't going to be a burden. I wanted to help. So I did you know, everything perfectly. And one day, I'm up in my room. He comes up. Hello? He says, I've got a, pro you're, I've got a problem with something you're doing. Okay, what's that? Now, come with me. I walk downstairs. He brings me in the kitchen. Look. Look. <laughs> I can't see anything. Look, hi. Look, 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 look. I'm looking. Everything's clean. Everything's put away. I'm sorry, I, I can't say. The teaspoon. I'm serious. This is not a joke. I said, yeah, the teaspoon is upside down. They said, this is the truth. And I said, I didn't know a teaspoon could be upside down. What's upside for a teaspoon? And he said, the bit, look, look, the bit that goes in the cup should not be touching the drainer. It should be the other way round. Little ways, big ways. Huh? <laughs> okay, 
From this point on, there will never be a teaspoon upside down. Okay, thank you. But see, he was stressed out, absolutely stressed out to the max. I mean, he used to breathe in and breathe out with the stress. He said, relax, man. You've got lots of little ways and you need to let them go. Love will cover over people's little ways, right? And you need to learn to do that. Don't be so head up. And Christians can be the worst in the world for that. I was talking to Gordon the other day. He features quite a lot here, doesn't he? <laughs> when Gordon joined this church, I think he was one of the best things that's ever happened to us. Because of his little ways. <laughs> <laughs> and when he came in, when he came in, it was, it was really, I mean, I could hear people thinking, you know? They were looking at him, and he'd be dancing or something and doing the stuff he does. They'd be looking at Gordon and looking at me. Looking at Gordon. Aren't you going to are you gonna do anything about him? Is it, and it was the perfect antidote for religiosity. The perfect antidote for a religious mindset. Why does everybody have to, have to be like you? You know, the worst thing could happen in your world is that everybody became like you. How boring that would be. We need diversity. And that's how it comes. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. Lighten up, right? And accept people's little ways and let them be. And love them with their ways, right? If their ways are wrong, obviously we love them through those things. Learn to be quiet. To use discretion about when something may need corrected or when it may not. Don't have to prove your point. That's stupid. There's no need to do that. Don't boast, not proud, not rude. And love, you know, even with the people we love, we can be very rude. I'm sure none of you here would, you know, call your wife an idiot. Idiot! You know? Or call your husband an idiot. But you might, you know. You just might not use the word. Like say she locks the keys in the car or something. You did what? Oh, what did you do? Oh, idiot. <laughs> Not using the word, but you may as well because you're inferring it. Oh, we can be very, very, very rude. Jeanette and I had a little bit of a ding-dong. You know what a ding-dong is? Everybody knows what a ding-dong is. We're driving. Oh, boy. If, you see, I get in the car when she's driving and I'm in the passenger seat. Oh, quiet. I cannot be quiet. You get in the passenger seat and she goes in first gear. You know, you know the way women drive. They grab the steering wheel and they push their head to the windscreen up like this. See? So she grabs the wheel. I'm looking. Head against the windscreen. And then she goes into first gear. And we head off home. And I'm biting my tongue. Because there is no second gear. Not with women. Oh, I'm sorry. So but off we go. And we get to the top of the road. And she turns and I'm just, why don't we go to second gear? Don't tell me how to drive. I'm not telling you how to drive. This is second gear. So she goes to second gear. And then like a mile goes by. And I think, I can't be quiet. Like, go to the third gear. Don't tell me how to drive. And on and on it goes. And I'm not alone. I find that nigh on impossible. However, I have solved the problem. I've learned how to deal with it. Now, if she's driving, she gets in the, in the driver's seat, I sit down, <gasps> take a deep breath. <sighs> right, seatbelt's on, All right, are you ready? I put my helmet on, I say, let's go. And we go, no problem. <laughs> we look as if we're going to do a bank job, you know? Little ways, little ways can make you or break you. And I'm being honest, I find it nigh on impossible to be quiet. 
when she's driving. God forgive me, but I do. <laughs> Look at verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But now I have become a man. I will put these childish ways behind me. And I hope that through this series, you have begun to do exactly that. Those of you who are considering dating, I hope that you don't think about it the same way. Those of you who are considering getting married, I hope that you've changed your mindset about what that actually entails and involves and what it's going to mean for you. I hope you're no longer thinking as a child. He goes on to say, once I didn't know in full, but one day I will fully know. And I hope that through this series over these last few weeks, you've begun to know the truth about maybe yourself. I know many of you have spoken to me about self-understanding. That just through these weeks, you've come to a place of self-understanding about how love operates within you. And that's a great, great thing. I want to show you this. Two of our leaders here renewed their marriage vows just a few weeks ago. Chris and Eileen, praise the Lord. And we had a little meeting downtown, and I showed them this because one of the things that Paul says, let me just show it to you. Look at verse 8. Look at this one. Look at verse 8. Just the beginning of it. It's my favorite line in terms of love in the whole Bible. Chapter 13, verse 8. Love never fails. What does that mean? Love never fails. Let me tell you what it means, or at least what it means to me. I was doing a rededication, not a marriage, but a rededication at one point. And I'd never done a rededication before. I'd done loads of marriages, but this was the first ever rededication I'd done. So I sought God. I said, God, what is the difference between a marriage and a rededication? Here's a couple. They want to bring themselves back together and renew their vows. What does that mean? And God showed me a vision. I see loads of vision. This is a primary way God talks to me. I saw a vision, and the vision explained to me the difference between a couple getting married and a couple renewing their vows. This was the vision. I saw a man and a woman. The woman's the one with the skirt on, see? <laughs> and they wanted to get married, but they were separated by a great big gulf. They couldn't get to one another. And the man was saying to the woman, I want to marry you. I want to marry you too. But there's a big gap between us. How are we going to cross that gap? And the man sees a pile of bricks behind the woman. He said, got it. Pass me a brick and I'll build a bridge and we can stand on the bridge and we'll get married. Easy. Okay, she says, and she picks up a brick. Oh, she drops it. Never mind, get another one. She gets another one. Oh, butterfingers, dropped it again. And then sometimes he gets it, but he drops it. Ah. And brick after brick, they just can't seem to get it right. But I guess you know the end of the story. <laughs> oh, the bridge gets built all right. The bridge gets built. But the bridges of love are never built because of perfection in anyone. It was built on the mistakes. And Paul says this, love keeps no record of wrongs. And all your mistakes, whoops, I just put it all beneath my feet. And let's make it the foundation 
for our lives and our love for one another. That's what it means. You see, what's the difference between a couple getting married and a couple getting rededicated? That's the difference, about 20 feet. They don't know each other. It's a couple getting married don't really know each other. There's still a big gap. But after you've been married, as it is in your case, for 10 years, you know each other all right. And it's a fantastic and beautiful thing. You're able to stand together and commit to one another in full knowledge of all the mistakes you've made. But because you see those actions are done in love, love never fails. That's just fun. You know what that is? A guarantee. It's a guarantee from God to you. When I was in Bible college, there was a guy there who he wasn't saved and he was an absolute nuisance to me. Many of the people weren't saved and I was in Cardiff University for two years and most of our class wasn't saved. But this guy used to really ridicule the gospel and tear it apart and it was very difficult to love him but I persevered with him and I witnessed to him throughout that time. He embarrassed me constantly. He made a fool out of me endlessly. He was a much older man than I was. I was a kid and he ridiculed me week after week after week and I just tried to get him saved. I did not succeed. And our last day came and everything was over. We all shook hands and I walked off and I'd been quite isolated through Bible college there and I, I walked off and I remember feeling, what was all that about? You know, I did all that. I swallowed all that and that guy's really left me embarrassed, and there you go. As I walked off, he came running after me. And he, he wanted to be on his own with me. And he said, could I talk to you for one moment? I've got something I want you to need to say. I've got a problem, a big problem. I can't talk to you about it, I'm facing a court case. It's either gonna make me or completely destroy me. I'm thinking, yeah, that's, what's that gotta do with me? He said, I need you to pray. Would you pray that I will be able to get through it? I thought, I see. Of course I'll pray. I prayed for him, and as I walked away, I thought, love never fails. And if I if I'd gone and he hadn't caught up with me, I could have left that situation thinking, what's the point in loving anybody? What's the point as a believer? Keeping on witnessing for this person or that. What's the point? They don't respond. What's the point in loving my son or my daughter? if they haven't come to Christ. What's the point? There's your point right there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. A guarantee from God. If you continue to love, then eventually I can bring this thing together. You just make love your goal. In all the relationships we're involved in, married, single, you know, in, in your workplace, wherever you find yourself, you make love your goal, love your target. Praise God. Thank you for watching today's program. I hope you have been blessed and edified by what you've seen and heard. Folks, you can see how important it is for the teaching of God's Word to get out to the nations. I want to invite you to do something very significant for your life, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. You can go to our website there where you'll find a way in which you can join up with us and partner with us to take these essential teachings, essential truths, out to the nations of the world. Thank you for watching and God bless you.